Hello, and thank you for joining us in the next episode of For Greater Knowledge, the official podcast of Tau Beta Sigma, the Honorary Band Service Sorority. My name is Leslie Garten, and I am the National Vice President for Communication and Recognition. In this episode, I'll be offering congratulations to the 2020 graduates, provide information on joining the Tau Beta Sigma Alumni Association, You'll hear the chapters that were successful in the 2019-2020 Focus on Five campaign, and then you'll listen to my conversation with Dr. Katherine Kelly. Without further ado, let's get started. As we gear up for the summer months, I want to offer our congratulations to the 2020 college graduates. We hope you know that graduation does not mean the end of your involvement in Tau Beta Sigma. One option is to ask for as a gift or apply yourself for a life membership into the organization. Uh, some of the benefits to uh, receiving a life membership is uh, you receive a life membership card, certificate, and a PIN. I receive a current year's membership to the Tau Beta Sigma Alumni Association, and then you receive an online subscription to the podium as well. So life membership is $350. It may be paid as a one-time fee or could also be part of a payment plan. Check out our website, tbsigma.org membership for all options. If life membership is not in your plans yet, we encourage you to join the Tau Beta Sigma Alumni Association. The Tau Beta Sigma Alumni Association offers different levels of membership for everyone. Whether you're an alumni or life member of an active chapter, are looking to participate or in or start a local alumni association or would like to support the organization, there are options for you. The TBSAA membership year runs from July 1st through June 30th annually, so now is the time to get your membership. There are four types of options. First option is standard membership. The TBSAA standard alumni membership is open to all alumni, life, and honorary members of the sorority in good standing who wish to support the mission of the organization, attend various district and national events, and possibly participate in a local alumni association. Alumni members receive a membership card, which grants them access to district and national events and conventions, as well as a membership gift, subscription to the bi-monthly email newsletter, the annual TBSAA magazine, The Rhapsody, access to participate in TBSAA national networking, philanthropic, and professional development programs, and membership in LAAs. Alumni member dues are $35. Uh, with an LAA-only membership, they are $15 annually, and if members would like to activate their membership for the purposes of purposes of participating in or founding local alumni associations. It includes a subscription to the bi-monthly newsletter and status to be counted on the roster as a dues-paid member of TBSAA when submitting reports to the TBSAA. They are not sent a membership card, but instead receive an email receipt, and these people cannot attend district or national events or conventions. Uh, the Gold Star Club is something that's fairly new within the organization. It is $60 annually. They receive all benefits of alumni membership, plus a special commemorative gift, an annual conference call with the executive council, recognition in the Rhapsody and the Podium, and access to a special member-only event at district and national conventions, and then more to be announced. And then new this year is uh, the Diamond Anniversary Membership. In honor of the 75th anniversary of Tau Beta Sigma, alumni life and honorary members of the sorority can choose this special commemorative membership option. 
Diamond membership is only available for the 2020-2021 membership year, including the sorority's Diamond Jubilee on March 26, 2021. The additional membership funds collected from Diamond anniversary members will be earmarked for the TBSAA's projects related to the 75th birthday of the sorority. Membership includes all the benefits provided to Gold Star Club members, plus a commemorative Diamond anniversary membership certificate, recognition in the podium, the newsletter, the TBSAA's biennial report, the Rhapsody, special members-only event at the 2021 National Convention in Grand Rapids, and permanent recognition by name at the national headquarters. Please let me know if you have any questions, or you may also visit tbsalumni.org for more information. Next, congratulations to the following chapters for the completion of the 2019-2020 Focus on Five campaign. These chapters are Omicron, Omega, Zeta Xi, Theta Delta, Alpha, Delta, Xi, Psi, Alpha Upsilon, Beta Zeta, Beta Nu, Delta Sigma, Delta Phi, Epsilon Beta, Zeta Phi, Eta Nu, Eta Pi, Alpha Omega, Beta Xi, Beta Phi, Gamma Epsilon, Delta Theta, Epsilon Theta, Epsilon Xi, Zeta Beta, Zeta Iota, Zeta Tau, Zeta Psi, Eta Lambda, Theta Zeta, Theta Rho, Theta Sigma, Iota Lambda, Iota Psi, Beta Eta, Gamma Omega, Delta Nu, Epsilon Omega, Zeta Omicron, Zeta Upsilon, Eta Alpha, Eta Gamma, Eta Delta, Eta Rho, Eta Sigma, Eta Chi, Theta Phi, Iota Pi, Epsilon, Lambda, Rho, Chi, Alpha Gamma, Alpha Xi, Beta Sigma, Gamma Mu, Epsilon Iota, Zeta Alpha, Zeta Gamma, Zeta Epsilon, Iota Epsilon, Alpha Iota, Theta Mu, Theta Xi. Next, that is a lot of chapters. Congratulations. That is amazing how many chapters completed. And then uh, the following chapters completed the stripes. Beta, Delta Omega, Delta Delta, and Zeta Delta. This is a huge deal and I commend you on your accomplishments. Lastly, uh, earlier this week, I sat down with Dr. Katherine Kelly, past national president of Tau Beta Sigma, to discuss her thoughts on COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter movement. As an African-American physician with a full understanding of the organization from its roots, Dr. Kelly provides a thoughtful discussion that was enlightening and helpful. I really appreciated the discussion, and I hope you do as well. Hello. Uh, joining me this evening is Dr. Katherine Kelly. How are you? I'm good. Can't complain. Oh, good to hear. So background on Dr. Kelly, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. This is what, what I remember of your storied past within the organization. Uh, you're an alumni or life member of the Ada Delta chapter at Howard University. Hey to you. <laughs> Very good. Good deal. And then uh, along with that, some uh, highlight of your past uh, national leadership, not all of your past positions, but I remember at one point you were a Northeast District Counselor. Mm -hmm. And then most recently, you served as our national president of the organization. So yeah. Is there any other highlights that you could name in there? Or? No, I think, I mean, I think that's the big ones, but I am a, a initiate of spring 1998, 22 years and counting in the organization. That is a college graduate within itself somewhat. <laughs> Excellent. 
Cool. So I kind of wanted to, um, you're an expert on many situations. So on two of the big topical things that are happening at this moment, first being COVID-19, going on with this question, how has physician care evolved even in the past six months since the emergence of COVID? You know, I'll speak from the standpoint, I'm an internal medicine physician, so I only treat adults. I don't treat children, but the biggest thing is that the way we deliver care has changed. A lot more is done through cameras and through sitting in, right. and it's just like this and trying to ask the right questions instead of being able to hear or touch the patient. And I think we've had to do a lot more education and a lot more kind of pulling people towards or pulling people away, I should say, from misinformation. So right. there's a lot of things out there that just aren't true or aren't founded. And, and the other thing is that we've also had to to kind of go on the fly. And a lot of what we learn is that you got to look at this study and you got to study it this way and it's got to be proven. And because of how contagious and how you know dangerous this, this virus has been around the world, we've tried to adapt more quickly and come up with new solutions. And sometimes we just don't know how those solutions are going to play out. We, we're, we're doing the best we can to save the most lives and to give people valid information, but it's based off of uh, more off of personal experience and small numbers of patients than it is these big studies that we are used to using to, to come up with a plan. Absolutely. Yeah, I think just how quickly everything has changed and just keeps changing is just crazy. Like I'm sure and know that you keep up with the latest issues and the latest medical things. And it's just got to be a lot all the time just on everything that's been going through. And it's also been a lot from a business standpoint. So as 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 you go through the business of medicine, being a, a practice owner, you know, how do you negotiate through these trying times? How do you get patients back after they've been gone? And there's still so much fear. We we started vaccine patients about three weeks ago in the office. And how do you negotiate those fears of coming out the house? You know, how do you protect your staff? not just, you know, and protect yourself because in the end, if I get something, then I'm, I could potentially bring it home to my family. Yeah, that's that, scary. That's changed. And, you know, we kind of, as physicians, as an internist, I did a lot of hospital medicine. So we go into situations knowing there's a risk of HIV transmission, there's a risk of hepatitis, there's a risk of tuberculosis. Um, you run that risk, taking care of very sick patients in the hospital, and you know that there's a chance you could bring it home. But I think with this, it's even more, brings a lot of that to reality and, and, and brings it home for you that you really can do that. And you have to take all the precautions you can and be careful. But still, you want to take care of the people that you train to take care of. This is what I was you know, trained for, is these types of situations. You were trained to keep evolving with it, I would imagine. Did, yeah. As you were doing telemedicine, I'm sure it was something to get used to. Did you hate it? Are you, look, are you liking seeing patients again? Or how are your feelings about that? So I, I, a big part of my practice is technology. So we actually have been doing telemedicine for almost two years. Okay. He had been doing it well before it was, you know, implemented. So it was a pretty easy transition. We just tra had to transfer all the scheduled patients over to telemedicine. The problem is for the patients. So not all patients, especially elderly, elderly patients, have internet or know how to right. use a smartphone or have a computer. But they've actually adapted pretty well. They've they've used their grandkids. They've used their family members oh, to yeah. so they can have those visits. And, I, and a lot of them appreciate the visits because they have a lot of fears. They have a lot of questions because they don't know and they don't know what to trust in the information that they're receiving. So it's been interesting to see what the conversations are. Like you do have people we're just following up on things that they have going on, but there's a lot of questions about COVID-19 and about 
how they maneuver in this world and what's safe for them. Right. Well, it's nice to be that trusted person that they can ask those questions. I'm sure that's got to be cool. See, yeah. I'm just, I stress out trying to get kids to fix their trumpets over the internet, much less <laughs> people try to fix their bodies. Goodness gracious, Catherine. Oh, but I do miss, I did miss seeing patients in the office. I do enjoy that. I yeah. mean, the hardest thing for me is you don't, you don't get to touch your patients. I love to hug my patients and we don't get to do that. So that's a, a new world. And also going into a, a room where they can't see you smile. Like they can't right. see you have a, a positive attitude, but I, I think they can feel that. Somebody was telling me the first thing you smile with is your eyes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and paying attention and being focused on the patient is just as important. And I think they, they understand that and they appreciate that we're taking those precautions to keep them safe. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, kind of going into that, uh, what common fears are you seeing from your patients? A lot of patients, are, there's, there's two extremes. There's the ones that are like, is this really going to hurt me? Can I go out? Can I do what I want to do? And then there's the ones like, I don't want to leave the house because I'm scared I'm going to die. Right. Um, and you also, you, we see nationally that a lot of people are now being at home with people who may be abusive. They're having to teach their kids. The stress levels of people that are stay-at-home parents right now, it's off. And a lot of people are working from home and they're not able to separate home from work. So they're working a lot more. They, they, they have all these other stresses for children or with how to acquire food, how to go out of the house and feel safe. How do I get a mask when there's no mask to have? And so those are a lot of fears which leads to anxiety. So I'm actually seeing a, quite a bit of anxiety and a lot of patients just not able to deal well with anxiety. What we've also been doing at least my recommendation to patients is that if you live alone, find you someone that can be your person. You know, yeah. you don't want to go through this by yourself. <laughs> I kind of joke it's like being in a monogamous relationship. You need to know exactly what they're doing and that they're not going out and doing things that they're not supposed to do and bringing it back to you. <laughs> so you got to have, but you got to have your person and, and somebody that you can talk to and that you can actually physically touch. I think, right. you know, I'm, I'm very blessed. I have children and a husband at home. So if I want to go home and get a hug, I can go home and get a hug. You know, it, yeah. it, it's not, I don't have to have that, that uh, degree of isolation. Isolated. Yeah. And I think people around you, like your family, will tell you something is up with you before you'll admit it to yourself. I think that's a really good that's tool true. that way. This is kind of like, we're also going to get a little bit into uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. So this could be a question that could be for either. What do you wish people were doing more of, but are not? I would say for COVID, I wish they were social distancing a little bit more. Sure keeping their six feet. And I, I understand, I think we can't tell people how to protest. We can't tell people how to be upset right now. And mm-hmm. I think some people need to be out and, and share in this feeling that's there, sharing, wanting to change, but you got to still try to be safe. And what's been proven lately is that social distancing is the most important thing that we can do to slow the spread of COVID-19. So I, w- I want people to, to social distance more. I, I really do want people to take wearing a mask seriously, you know, kind of us getting out of our own way. And this goes for both of them that it's not just about you. It's not just about how it affects you. It's not just about what your personal feelings are. It's not necessarily about having a religion, but also wanting to treat other people with human with human decency. Yeah. Treat sure. them as a human being and and that they deserve to to have those things that all of us deserve to have. When you don't social distance and you don't wash your hands and those kind of things, you you the people of, of opportunities as well. And what we're seeing is that the, the communities that are being affected the most by both of these episodes, by racism and by COVID-19, are Black lives. And so we have to do more because if you really care about Black lives, you're going to wear a mask, you're going to social distance because it is causing more problems in, in that community. 
and those then lead, lead to the bigger problems of access to health care. The most essential workers are people of color, like our black and brown brothers and sisters. They're the ones that are putting themselves out there and, and getting and getting sick, and then they don't have access to healthcare. There's a lot of distrust. On one side, we see distrust of the medical community, and on the other side, we see mistrust of, of the police. So mm -hmm. both of them kind of mirror each other and have quite a bit in common, and we may yeah. not have thought about it in that way. No, I didn't. That's interesting different levels, I wouldn't say authority, but of people that are there to help you or that that is their But it's mission, because of, you know, and this is a part of what I also wish people were doing more of is educating themselves on their history Absolutely. and educating themselves on, you know, everybody can't be a virologist. Everybody's not going to know everything about every virus and how it works and that kind of thing. But just at vetting your sources and, and in understanding. So for example, when it comes to healthcare, learn about the Tuskegee experiment. Learn about the way that black bodies were used in experiments throughout our history in a way that was that makes them not trust, you know, people in healthcare. Sure. And, and a lot of, at least me growing up, a lot of the fear was, well, you only go to the hospital if you're going to die. So I'm not going to go to the hospital. You know, every time I go to the doctor, they got bad news for me. So I'm oh, not going to go yeah. to the doctor. Yeah. I'd rather just not know. And right. if you look at it from the police inside, it's like whenever I have an incident with a police, I can't trust them. It's it's always going to be a problem. And and looking at how police brutality, you if you look back into our music, into what Black culture has has said, there's there's been constant issues with how police police our neighborhoods. And looking into the history of how the police formed, can can help inform your understanding of why we're at the place we're at now. Absolutely, good deal. Going back more into COVID things before we move on. Uh, what advice do you have as a physician for us to stay healthy? I think you kind of covered this, but you can continue further if you'd like. And there's a couple other things. So part of it is just staying healthy overall. So make sure your mind, body, and spirit are all healthy. So you, you need to eat right. You need to try to be active and exercise. And you need to meditate. You need to try to get that stress relief because the stress in itself is going to continue to, to make you unhealthy. So these are things I tell my, my patients, no matter what's going on in the world, you have to eat fruits and vegetables. You have to limit your, your sugars and, and your fatty foods, get more fiber. Um, and you need to be doing 30 minutes of some type of activity at least five times a week. That's, that's the bare minimum. And, you know, a part of what I play in this is also making sure that those preventive things are not missed. Like, of course, in the middle of this, we weren't worried about getting colonoscopies or mammograms. Right. But a part of it is making sure that those things are important and that there's access for everybody to those things. So I think, you know, and, and some of it is, is also kind of being that person for somebody else and holding them accountable. But like, did you go get your checkup today? Did you go? Have you been to your doctor this year? you know, and kind of encouraging them to go and use those resources. And I think, you know, one thing that kind of also pulls this into the Black Lives Matter movement to a certain extent is people want to see themselves in the people that, that are treating them. Less than 2% of all physicians are African-American females. So you can imagine if you go into somebody who may not share a love of your culture or understanding of your culture and how that can be interpreted and where, again, that mistrust can come, it may not create a healthy relationship. And so that just, it doesn't, it's not just about going and seeing somebody that looks like you, but having people who don't understand where you're coming from and appreciate those differences. And for me, I was a medical anthropology major. So a big part of what I looked at is how our culture and our background play into our, the way we receive healthcare. Because you may not receive what I have to say because I'm not putting it in the way that you have been used to or in terms that fit into your uh, social constructs. 
and and how you you view medicine. So I think having some understanding and learning about each other comes in all of these different platforms. Absolutely. So empathy and representation, I think is what you're saying. It makes sense. Cool. Yeah. So how can, I think you've said a little bit, distancing, taking care of ourselves, doing preventative things. Is there, what else can we do to assist the healthcare industry during this pandemic? I think the the big thing at the beginning was not hoarding. So sure. you know, kind of make sure that they have mask and they have things that, that they can use pushing to make sure they have enough supplies because again if we get sick and we can't take care of those things this it is years of training that go into being able to take care of these things and do these things and you lose that when you don't protect those people who are taking care of you and right. nurses the doctors the tech everybody that's helping to make those hospitals run they need to be protected and so I think that's the biggest thing we can do is push for that kind of accountability and push to make sure they have the things they need. My neighbors have been making masks for healthcare workers and, you know, doing all kinds of things. It's different people that are feeding healthcare workers and just making sure that they have the strength to keep fighting through this this pandemic. And, you know, we've been t- we talk a lot about flattening the curve because we just don't have unlimited resources. We don't have unlimited ICU resources. And the way that this virus has been treated is that it requires those types of things. It's, you know, the flu, yes, the flu is bad and, and there's other viruses that can cause problems, but this one has challenged us in different ways as a society and as the way we, we have access to different resources. There are numerous of our brothers and sisters in Tarbet Sigmund that are in places that are much more rural. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may not have access to three hospitals within a certain certain mile right. radius, you know, Absolutely. so that, that access in the rural part of the country is just as important as in other underserved areas. So I think we have to make sure that we bring that to the forefront as well. Awareness in that way. And yeah, if anybody listening, if you have not done something nice for your colleague or your local healthcare worker, do that now or send Dr. Kelly something nice. You can find her. She always... <laughs> She has lots of things she could use, I'm sure. Yeah, so cool. Thank you for sharing about all of that. Uh, Let's go into a little bit about uh, this recent events of, and forgive my ignorance on it, I guess I've I've been calling it the Black Lives Matter movement. Would you agree with that or would you like to call it something else? Well, I think that's what it's morphed into. I think the the, if we look back at what initially this is about, it's about police brutality and how we want, you know, we want Black lives to matter. It's not saying that other people don't matter, but right now this this is the house that's on fire. This is the the people that feel isolated and made to feel less than. And I think right. I don't know what what is the correct way to call it, but Black Lives Matter movement is totally fine. Well, we'll take that. Sounds good. So maybe an equity movement. We can kind of go into whatever we'd like with it. But yeah, so so you have been a vocal supporter, uh, Dr. Kelly, of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, via social media. How can we as listeners and just as people support accurate information on these topics? And I think the biggest thing, first I'll say is recognizing that racism is real and that there is oppressive racism and institutional racism that's been going on for a long time. And and recognizing the fact that you you don't get blind justice. You don't, there's not equal justice under the law for, for some people in this country. And I think you know, we also see those things in lending, we see it in healthcare, we see it in other aspects. Recognizing that first, and also like vetting your sources, like knowing what is true and what is not, and knowing, it's some of it's about cultural sensitivity and, and, and diversity training. You should never reply to Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. You know, that's not, that's not the point of the argument. 
And I think in, in everything we do, we have to be mindful and intentional in how we address those things. And it's a lot of anger. It's a lot of hurt. It's a lot of pain, but also recognizing how you approach and, and talk about those people in different spaces and just being honest. And I think, you know, we, we're looking for allies and being an ally means that you're calling it out in your own spaces. You know, we can't, African-Americans, Black people, we can't necessarily change those spaces. If you see somebody being racist, if you see somebody doing something that's inappropriate, you see microaggression, say mm-hmm. something, do something. Don't just let it pass by. Right. Um, and I think we, when we look at, I, I've been saying in my post that I feel like we, we saw our Bloody Sunday in George Floyd to watch somebody die. And, and I've unfortunately experienced that in healthcare of, of having to, to be there to watch someone pass away. It's not, it's heart-wrenching. And to see it happen in that way when it didn't need to, I think sparked a flame that now is, I'm proud to say, is the, the people that are supporting it from every walk of life. Not everybody gets it, but I think wow. to that point, yeah. So I, I really just want people to vet their sources and to, to also, you know, the biggest thing in all of this is to listen. And, mm-hmm. and even as an African-American, I have to learn how to listen. Like I need to hear that just because my pain is one way, there's other people who are experiencing pain in another way. And to listen to them and, you know, recognize their pain and, and give validity to how they feel. You mm-hmm. may disagree on how we get to the next steps, but part of that listening and part of that understanding and at least trying to be empathetic and put yourself in their shoes can go a long way. And Absolutely. I think in general, that's something that we should be doing. But right now, we're asking people to do it about Black lives. Yeah. Absolutely. Now more than ever. I think what has been frustrating to me as a white woman with mostly white or non-POCs within my communication is what what you said was ignorance, ignorant racism or ignoring racism is just as bad as active racism. And my frustration I've seen is friends on social media saying, well, I'm not racist. It's not there. No, that's not how that works. And here's where you're not seeing it. You're choosing not to see it. All you need to do, and in my opinion, is address that racism is a thing, is a problem. And why isn't everybody still in 2020 given the same equal rights and same treatment? I think that's frustrating for everybody. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, so going a little bit into that as well, in your opinion, what are the goals of Black Lives Matter? I think you went into a little bit, but if you would like to go a little bit further, that'd be great. And, and I'm not going to act like I'm a specialist on Black Lives Matter. You no. know, I can, I can tell you what I feel the goals are. I think that they want Black people to feel that they're getting equal treatment, to feel like they can they can get stopped and pulled over for a broken taillight and not feel like their life is in danger, that they can walk into a store and not be followed around as if they're, gonna, they're a thief, that they can do regular everyday things and not have the police called on them. You know, I think you want to live in, in, a, in a world where we where a black man is not a threat, you know, or a black boy is not a threat. And, you know, for me personally, my husband is a black man. My son has autism and he's, he's 12. And mm-hmm. my biggest fear is having him go out the house by himself and he encounter somebody who doesn't understand him. And he's asked to comply and his, his disability won't let him do that. That's so um, scary. You know, or that my husband, who is a professional, he works in government when he's not in his shirt and tie, that he can't walk into a store 
and, and not be following around that he gets pulled over and you know he's not putting his hands in the right space or he's or that he's running and he's and somebody feels like he's not supposed to be there and they stalk him or they hurt him you know those i feel the pain of the community because i can see my my husband and my son in those events you know mm -hmm. even with brianna taylor and i i know that she has not gotten enough light in this that could have been me i could have been in my house and you know somebody came in and i would hope that people would fight for me just like we should fight for her and everybody else you know we should be able to run we should be able to bird watch we should be able to have a barbecue and, and do whatever rent an airbnb and not feel like our lives are in danger because they're going to call the cops on us it's so sad that it seems like every day you're adding to the list of things that you have to be aware of what you're doing with it it's it's not okay Absolutely. So yeah, how is this, Dr. Kelly, how has this movement affected you personally? I think it's, you know, on one side, it's, it makes you enraged that we're still dealing with this, mm -hmm. that there's still people who don't recognize it, and there's still people who don't value certain people as people. You know, like I said, a lot of it for me is just seeing my, my nephew, seeing my, my son in these kids that are being hurt. You know, my nephew is a college student. He likes to have fun. He's a little mouthy. He should be able to be that. You know, Absolutely. he shouldn't walk out the house and feel like he can't be himself. Right. You know, and I think that's how it's affected me personally is that I have a lot of fear and a lot of rage and a lot of hurt. And it brings up a lot of old wounds that you didn't think you hadn't dealt with. You, you thought you dealt with and they're still there because you keep it keeps playing back it keeps playing back there's that trauma that that's happened in all of us and and, and many people have those kind of traumas but it's unique in the, in the black experience because it's something that you can't change is is your skin has been weaponized and how right. do you, how do you get past that and i also think that it's made it's also made me grow as a person like i said i i also need to learn to listen i also recognize my privilege as a physician i'm very isolated from a lot of things right right now because of where i live and what i do but i also know that if i go outside and people don't know who i am they're gonna think whatever they want to think just assumptions or right. yeah just garbage basically it's too bad but yeah so since this is the podcast for tau beta sigma even though this is just I, i'm really enjoying this conversation so far i really appreciate you coming on how do you feel as a past leader and just as a sister of tau beta sigma how do you feel that tau beta sigma and like-minded organizations how can they help support this movement? You have to listen to the people who recognize or identify themselves as African-American or identify themselves as have been hurt in the situation. Mm -hmm. And I've been guilty of this too. You have to listen to them. And I think they, 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 they want a change. They want something to be different. And I think we're about bringing people together. Like music in itself brings people together. We recognize how African-Americans and and people of color, black people have contributed to the musical world and how they still contribute to the musical world and how black bands have contributed to the marching band styles and the, and the, and the way that we view marching bands around the country. And I think we, we just have to, as an organization, listen and then work to do better. I can't say what I think that looks like because I think it's more than just my voice. Like I'm not the only voice that matters. I'm one, um, but it needs to be all of us. And it needs to be not just you know, I think non-PLC brothers and sisters out there need to also recognize their role in making others feel accepted and making, because that's on the bigger scale, that's what it's about. And, and appreciating 
those cultures and how they were enrich a life. It's not how necessarily how it's different, but how it enriches. But also, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about not going and saying, I don't see color because we all see color, but appreciating those differences and how we can mesh together to make this organization that much better. Because I believe in all of the things that Tau Beta Sigma does. I think that our program is built around making our membership better people, us also being about equality and diversity. You know, Tau Beta Sigma came out of an inequity, you know, that, that we weren't allowed to be in, in certain organizations. So Absolutely. we come out of that. So now, you know, we got to see it, see in ourselves the same kind of struggle and kind of come together to make this, make this right. Yeah, it makes sense. I really like, I think it kind of circles around to what you said at, probably at the beginning of our conversation where there are differences we know and we should acknowledge the differences we should learn from those different cultures. Like I, that's what one of my favorite experiences within Tau Beta Sigma is learning different cultures and learning from different people because everything is just, that's that's what humanity is about, absolutely. And I think it also should be noted that not every Black person is the same. You know, no. not every HBCU is the same. We When we recognize that, you also recognize that not everybody comes from the same place. Those social traumas, although very similar when it comes to oppression and racism, each of us has, you know, kind of been in an environment that, that develops us in, in a different way. And, and being able to recognize African-Americans as individuals within that group is also just as important. And, and I'll say this, it, it, when I was growing up, I'm from Tampa, Florida originally. Okay. And I kind of felt like, you know, we all stuck together. Like all the, you would see the black kids, we, we support each other. We might fight, but in the end of it all, we felt like we needed to support each other. Then I, I, I was blessed to go to Howard University where everybody's black. And I assumed we all was going to get along. But what I had, that's when I realized as a black person that not all black people are the same. I've realized for the first time in my life that black people had wealth. I saw my first black doctor. Those things for me have been empowering. Other people cannot say in in other cultures that they have not seen somebody that looks like them in those places. And I think, you know, even moving past what's going on right now, I think, at least for me personally, what Barack Obama did for me was was give me and, and, and Jackson, because Jackson used to want to be president. He wants to be a blogger now. But okay. gave, him, <laughs> gave him that hope that he could be that. You know what I'm saying? Right. I think part of it for me is that having gone to HBCU and what that did for me is show me that I can be anything I put my mind to because people have already done it. It's right. already there. And I'm a big Harry Potter fan. And it's I always kind of think back, and I think it was um, when it was Prisoner Azkaban, when okay. he's, they go back in time to kind of help Sirius and the Dementors are sucking from Sirius and Harry's on the other side like when's my dad coming my dad is coming and right. he makes the Patronus and he's asked afterwards how, how did you know you could do it he was like because I already did it <laughs> and I feel like that for me is what I see when I see HBCUs it's like I know I can do it because I already did it like it's already there it already makes sense I, I know that I could be that person and my goal in life is to give that hope to somebody else you know, what I'm so by me being a black physician, a business owner, I'm hoping that other black women can see that in themselves. You know, and I think if you look in Target of Sigma, looking at women be leaders, then should teach you that you can do it, too. And I think that's where we have mm-hmm. to kind of go and, and uplift each other and build on that. And, and, you know, but also be humble, because I think 
all of us wouldn't be here without somebody's help. Yeah. It, it takes a village. Like I wouldn't be here without people that, that cared about me and recognizing that that it's not just about my hard work. It's about all those people that, that put into me that made me who I am and where I am now. Mic drop. That's, <laughs> that all makes sense. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't even know, like just know. And I think I've told you this and you've always inspired me and I appreciate your leadership and just you working your butt off every day to be a better person and to show people that they can do better. Like, I think that's, kind of something you show on your sleeve without realizing it. And I think that's, and you, you continue to do that. And that's, and it's really, it's really cool. So, and you know, it's funny cause I'm always going to say that that comes from my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom is one of the, is, <laughs> my mom is one of the most generous, caring, understanding, non-judgmental people I've ever seen in my life. She will give you her last. She will, you know, make sure that you have that she don't have. And she's always been that rock for our family. She's always been there for me. Like in every instance, she was also that person that didn't judge me, that that didn't make me ever feel like I couldn't do anything I put my mind to. You know, I never remember my mom being like, no, you got to stop. You can't do that because you're a girl. You can't. She might tell me I couldn't do it because I had little pants. <laughs> <laughs> but she never made me feel like. Rational, rational thing sometimes. That's <laughs> And even even with making mistakes, I've made plenty of mistakes. And I, I shouldn't say mistakes. I've made bad decisions. My mom has always been there to support me through those bad decisions. Now, I had to choose to make better decisions after that. And I feel like I, I've done that. But I, I definitely know that guidance and her being a role model for me has taught me how to love other people and how to, how to forgive and how to, to also take other people into consideration and mm-hmm. to know that my blessing doesn't come from how much I bring in, but for how much I give to others. Right. And just as I've matured in, in the organization, learning that it's not just about giving money. It's also about giving your time and your talents. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be your patience. It might be just that you you just be there for somebody when they call, you know, right. and those are the little things. But you get blessings in return. So you don't go out and do them because you expect. Yeah. Kudos, or you expect somebody to be happy about something that you did, but do it because you felt it's the right thing to do, and that, and and then ask somebody to pay it forward. So it's ultimately that moral compass that puts you to where you need to be, and the saying that usually the right thing to do is the difficult thing to do in right. some way. I love that. Shout out to your mom to My give that to begin with. <laughs> She not on social media either, so she never gonna see nothing we post about her. <laughs> well, that's probably you can tell her all you want, but she probably have, what it sounds like. She'd be like, "Okay, that's fine. Thank you. I'm gonna keep doing this stuff." And, no. and you know, it's funny because not to talk too much about my mom, but I, I was having a difficulty in my life after I had to 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 make some decisions in my business. That decision, the person that that decision involved, made me really question my character. And it's funny because my mama was the person; she's all the person I call with when something like that is going on. She was like, "You just gotta keep being you. You is good enough. You just gotta keep being being who I know you to be. I know your heart. And for your mama to tell you she know your heart, that's then you doing something right." So I just got to keep thinking that I want to do stuff that's going to make my mama know my heart. Yeah. It's a good guidance. Good work, Mrs. Garrett. Good job. (laughs) So uh, last question. I know this is 
been a very thoughtful conversation, I think, and enjoyable. I'm sorry to, well, not, I'm not going to apologize for taking up too much of your time. I've written, just know I really enjoyed this conversation, but what can we all do to help address uh, racial injustice and help people heal? I think call it out where you see it. And I think each person, because like I said earlier, not every Black person is the same. Mm-hmm. If you are really a friend, then you know, you should know that person and know how to find out what they need. If that's just a phone call to make them laugh, if that's, you know, feeling, uh, validating their pain, validating that, they, that there's something there, asking what you can do. And then I think the biggest thing is is calling out racism when you see it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're not a person of color and you see something going on, then say something. Don't be an accessory. Don't be an accomplice. To, to something that's wrong, you know? We always talk about people being in the wrong place at the wrong time, them not standing up, bystander, you know, different syndromes that we, we know about. Don't be that, you know, say something, do something and vote. I mean, I can't really say that, but <laughs> be the change. No, we're not saying who to vote for, we're just saying vote. I think that's more than fair. And, and, and be a part of some type of change. Everybody is not gonna be the protester, but mm-hmm. You can be the person, and I feel like this is for me, I, I choose not to go protest because I don't want to expose my patients, but then I feel like I'm fighting the battle on a, on a different front. I've had to recognize that my words have power, mm-hmm. and so I have to be careful how I use my words, and I want to use my words for healing and not division. I want to use my words for positivity, and that's not about being fake, but I've made a conscious decision that that's, that's the life I want to live, and right. I find that whenever people ask me how I am, the first thing I'm going to say is I'm blessed. Because I am in so many ways. My life could have been a lot different. And I think what I've also said is that just because you see one successful person that's a Black person doesn't mean that other people haven't had a struggle. It doesn't mean that just because we had a Black president and we've seen this doesn't mean the struggle is over. It means that we got to address it in a different way. And I think that the the 21st century, (laughs) isn't that where we are now? (laughs) Yeah, it feels like... 30th right now, the way this year is going, but yeah. This year is on its like 21st month. Right. Um, but I think we, we just got to keep pushing forward and keep being strong. The battle is not given to the swift, but to him that endures to the end, we know that. And we just got to keep going on. And I think, you know, going back to what Talbot and Sigma stands for, you know, we talk about fortitude and courage to see an ideal, to seize upon it and to follow it wherever it may lead you in Talbot and Sigma. And what I've tried to do in my life is take, that target of sigma and and put in things there so i need to have fortitude i need to stand strong i need to have courage and 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 wisdom too to know when to use that fortitude and courage for things that are important and things that matter and and you know i'm I'm a little biased because i am black and i want my life to matter but i want other other people to see me as valuable to see me as worthy but i know my worth that's the difference Right. I know who I am and I'm hoping that I can give that to other people to let them know their work. So I th- we got work to do as a society. We got work to do as friends. We got work to do as sisters. And I, I, I'm hopeful. I know that we can get through this. I know that we can make this world a better place. And that's sometimes that's all you have is hope. Right. You know, that's the only thing you can hold on to. So I'm willing to be that hope for somebody. Yeah, good. And you're needed. You're needed in this it feels like we're going backwards right now, but there's still even the tiny bit of forward progress on everything, like every day still. There's, as long as there's somebody learning something or as long as we as people learn something every day and do better every day. And, and we can, we know how. Yeah, yeah for sure. Cool. Uh, is there anything else you would like 
to talk about or we hit about the whole game as your son waiting for you to come home impatiently my stalker i'm sure that's what he's texting me <laughs> this is his mom no i i just want to say thank you for allowing me to have a voice and i you know to my brothers and sisters in the struggle i hope that i'm using my voice to further the cause and to to uplift and to be a positive role model for each of you that i'm not i'm not that important <laughs> But I hope that me using my words as power in this this arena and for you is emboldening, is empowering for you. I think for the listeners right now, I think that you are in whatever way that is needed for them at this point. So it's very much appreciated that you came on and used your time for this. So thank you very much, Dr. Kelly. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. If you have any questions, concerns, feedback, or have suggestions for future episodes, please check out the For Greater Knowledge Facebook page. On that page is a Google form to submit your feedback. You may also contact me directly. You may email me at lesler at tbsigma.org. That is L-E-S-L-E-R. You are also free to find me on Facebook. I am also in charge of our national social media, so you may contact me through our national Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram pages as I check each of those daily. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you learned something, and remember to go forth with much love in the bond.